3: and gentlemen and welcome to getting it out podcast that was nate no face with pushing the line that's from his homicide record which came out in april of 2022 on black house records that's the topic of conversation on this episode of the podcast not nate no face though i gladly would this is about black house records black house limited black house industries black house White House, whatever you want to call it. It's Black House. We're talking to Scott Roselle of Black House. Again, that track you just heard was Nate No Face. I believe if you have any touch on uh, underground music, you would have come across Nate No Face at some point now. Uh, is really been a cool rise to notoriety for this guy in a very unique style of music that I didn't know I liked until I heard it. And it's interesting how he's popped up on all these labels that I really love, Black House included, and uh, Writing Easy as well, who we did an episode with a couple months ago. Uh, but anyway that track pushing the line off of the Homicide LP may be still available from Black House Records. Maybe it's already sold out. I don't know. You're going to have to go check out Black House Records and find out for yourself. Not until you finish listening to this episode of the podcast. But first, it's Hot Zone. Kick it. Make family out of friends!
4: Make friends out of enemies! Peace to my family! Make friends till they bury!
3: I was in Philadelphia on Sunday and a funny thing happened. No, not the Interstate 95 bridge collapse, northbound lanes around Fishtown. No, not that. Though that is pretty interesting. I wonder how that's going to affect the East Coast going forward. But no, not the bridge collapse. It was a man... <laughs> it was a man on uh, on a, in a car beside me. I just, like, I don't know what I did. I I looked over at him as we were sitting at a light in traffic I just looked to my left he looked to his right he was on the phone with his right hand and he just brought over his left hand and he very confidently gave me the middle finger and I laughed I didn't even, I didn't laugh hard I just smiled and I like chuckled enough that my daughter who was sitting beside me Asked dad, what's funny? I was like, I I couldn't tell her. I wasn't going to tell her what just happened. This was a very brief, very brief interaction, seconds, you know. And uh, I just had so much respect and admiration for that man in that moment. And I'm not lying. Like, I've thought about this a lot. Immediately, I was like, wow. I mean, because that's what I want to do and say to everybody who looks my way at any point during every day. And I don't. And I wonder what it feels like just to do it. You know, because like, yeah, sure. You should have a little more common courtesy than just give a finger immediately to somebody who looks in your direction. I do agree with that. And that's why I don't do it. But I also really respect just doing it and just putting it out there. And like, it's not like this was a guy by himself, uh, whatever. There was kids in the car. (laughs) There's kids in the car in the back seat, like in car seats and shit. So it was a it was a funny interaction. And wherever that guy's out, I hope you listen to the podcast and know that I respect you. And uh, it was keep doing it. Keep doing your thing, man. Just don't let anybody look in your direction. And uh, just tell them how you feel right up front. That's what you should do every day, my dear listeners of Getting It Out podcast. Hey, I'm not going to go too long on this intro here. I do want to recognize that the Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship last night. I thought they would win that game. And they ultimately did. But when I went to bed at halftime, it looked like the Heat might have this one. I thought, all right, maybe maybe I won't miss the end of the last basketball game of the season. But it turns out I did. I woke up and saw they won right away. Not big stat lines from anybody. I got to go back and watch the highlights. Haven't done that yet, but I will. I will. Don't you worry. I will eventually give these nuggets the respect they deserve. But for now, I'll just be staring at the uh, at the James Harden decision and uh, where Fred Van Vliet. I always want to say Van Fleet, Van Fleet lands. Hopefully it's with Philadelphia and Harden is out of there. That's my hope. And uh, I don't know, you know, what else happens for the NBA offseason? Lots of stuff. The draft has to be coming soon. See what happens with Portland. Will they draft Scoot Henderson, trade Damian Lillard? I'm not sure that I want him on Philadelphia at this point, but whatever. We'll get there. I don't know what's going to happen, but that's what's exciting about the NBA. It never really stops next season starts october usually i forget definitely by november so it's, it's got to be october anyway this episode of the podcast is a return to the record label spotlight series i've been doing it's a monthly thing each month i've talked to the director let's use that term of a of a record label first january was bridge nine records february hex records march writing easy records April, Youngblood Records, kind of, I missed by a couple days, but yeah, it was Youngblood Records in April and May, Magnetic Eye Records, and now here in June, it is Black House Limited. So, that involves me bringing back Scott Roselle, a guy you may have heard on the podcast a few years ago. We talk about that right in the beginning, right before the pandemic or right when the pandemic really kicked off. He came on to talk about his noise project, Sterile Prayer, and we've kept in contact ever since. And this is uh, our second talk. So I want to play you some songs from Black House artists. And uh, then get to our conversation. So here's a track from one of his artists. It's called Mando and it's by Razkaz. And it is a hip hop track. So don't be surprised, you are on the right podcast.
0: Man surprise! I ain't even know Blowing on that Keisha, put it in the lab I'm whipping up that la Did it off of cash, king of the junker. Who the fuck these niggas lying on Papa gave me a firearm, told me to try it on Crazy how my sex drive When my license gone Had the DMX, told him to never die alone Shouted calling me daddy When she knowing I'm not the father Scared of the whips, Yes, you a L.A. Dodger Monsters, monsters, hustlers Gangsters, robbers, with no extra man Run I gun, like Contra, unpolished diamond. I've been rhyming without a manager. Club might charge you, but I'll never dodge a challenger. Blowing grapes, eating steak and shake, scrape the plate, bring the freshest out the bag and get your MCA. Yeah, I'm sweeping niggas. I'm looking to get a swiffer deal. They call me babyface. I mash the gas the whip a pill. Word to slang, I don't need help. I move around to keep the block cool, nigga. I'm a fan belt. If you don't like me, nigga, you don't like you minus the fuck shit and fan mail a real street grinder and for a block or two the bird brain bitches fiendin' for a cockatoo I roast beef like RBS. got bitches snorting off a car key in the rv couple niggas with me tall t in the dog leash blowing all these cross me on my offspring yeah, yeah. money over pussy
5: mando hundred bands in each hand pimp mando commando on the ops with the ammo loyalty is what we stand for mando money over pussy mando 100 bands in each hand pimp mando commando on the ops with the ammo loyalty is what we stand for mando yeah, it's 2020-something. I got 2020 vision. I'm with 2020-something. Many itty-bitty young is getting litty in the function. I was really building, hustling, put the city in construction. You niggas' kitties, buy some titties since you frontin'. Sound like Siri when you hear me. This is serious discussion. Secure the bag, whip with cut roof. I've been it since kindergarten playing duck, duck, goose. Uh, Rollin' and I start in the the garden them. I on my I get him the ball hit him. I am a phenomenon my clock. In them, instead of the S on my chest it's an R emblem, labels like, oh shit, we didn't market them, that put a spark in them, Tony Stark arc in them, I'm ready to crack Humpty Dumpty's make an omelette I'm a flag, surveying all this guap I'm trying to get used to wreck, getting put under arrest and call moms collect, now I'm ready to launch a private jet, I'm the live cadet, fucking pretty mixed bitches with tattoos on their arms and necks, told a bitch I'm diamond, I don't gotta give a dime respect illest nigga rhyming yet, any crime a violent vet, the blow goes for your Touch your nose like it's Simon Says bum, 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 bum. My hand blammer the blammer The grams took over the grammar You comedy janitors With what's up, cut gems to a Sandler Los Angeles anima Great rapper just bad managers My dick is a choke On top of a bar of gold Attached to a flagpole That's why I'm an asshole Money over pussy Mando 100 bands in each hand Pimp Mando Commando On the ops with the ammo Loyalty is what we stand for, Mando. Money over pussy, Mando. Hundred bands in each hand, pimp. Mando, commando, on the ops with the ammo. Loyalty is what we stand for, Mando. Ah. Money over pussy, Mando. Honey bands in each hand, nigga. Mando, commando, on the ops with the ammo. Yeah. Loyalty, what we stand for, Mando. Money over pussy. Yeah.
3: It's been a couple of years since we last talked. Last time I talked to you was to was about sterile prayer. And I think it was your yeah. first, the first thing you put out with that. I forget the name of it, but, um, I oh don't know. It was something, um, no, you know what? I think we did talk around the beginning of COVID because the, yeah title of the record is like eerily like prophetic of it. Right. I forget what yeah, it is. It was, was
1: yeah. It was super weird. That was, <laughs> that was not planned. That was, uh, it was uh, the, the album title was supposed to, the accepting the new normal was supposed to be a, uh, a reference to people getting used to terrorist cells and terrorism. Um, just, there was, a, there it, it was just some weird side conversation I had been having with some people. Um, God. I, and it was just about, I think it was about, we were talking about ISIS and how they were at the time, you know, a year or two before how they were posting all those, you know, all those crazy beheading videos of, of journalists mm-hmm. in the desert, you know, and they were up in you know, they were uploading them to like live leak and YouTube and stuff before they would get pulled down. And we, you know, a friend of mine and I had caught a bunch of these and we watched them and we were just like, what the fuck, man. And, uh, <laughs> and realized like, and, and I just remember, uh, my friend, Chris, that was, that was with me at the time made some comment about, man, it's kind of weird that like, this is, we, we've all kind of gotten to the point where like everybody's numb to it and, and starting to just accept it as the new normal. And <laughs> it just, it just kind of clicked. I was like, Oh, and then a little while later when I finished the record, it was, um, I don't know. It just kind of stood out. So we used it. It was funny because yeah, but, not funny, but, uh, but it was,
3: you know, ironic then because the new normal became like a phrase everybody was using around the beginning of yeah. the COVID era.
1: Yeah. Like three, four months in it was, yeah, it was really weird. Like it's, well, I guess we'll all have to adapt to the new normal. I was like, Oh man. <laughs> and then like, yeah. And, and, and well, and the, the record was pretty much done. It, it, it had already been sent off to be pressed. Um, Cause I mean vinyl pressing plants were starting to get backed up because there was like a huge lacquer fire, like a, some, whatever, some giant lacquer plant for <laughs> vinyl records, like burned to the ground. And so that's part of the reason why I guess a bunch of vinyl pressing plants got backed up. So we had sent everything off already. And then COVID started, it was actually slug Christ, um, posted some video on Twitter, uh, on like a, I want to say it was like a Monday, and he was like, "It was like a a retweet that he found of like some closed circuit TV footage from China where, um, police and and people in like full on hazmat suits were like corralling people into buildings and and not letting people go outside, and there was there wasn't really a whole lot of context to it, and uh, and he so he retweeted it and he's like, "What the fuck is this?" And I watched it and I'm like, "Man, that's really weird." And people were like, yeah, this is happening all over the country right now. And then the very next day, I was at my day job and my boss handed me a laptop because she's like, hey, she came up to me with like an IT guy. And she's like, hey, you used to work in operations management, you know, for the company you used to work for and you worked remote, right? And I said, yeah, I used to travel a lot. And they said, cool. Uh, Would you be willing to test out this laptop and work from home tomorrow and just see if it works. And if if all the programs are functioning, I said, yeah, sure. So I went to work the next day from home and I tested it out and everything was up and running. And, and they called me around one o'clock and I told them, yeah, everything looks great. It seems to be working just fine. And they said, cool. So stay there and don't come back. And then I was like, okay, well that's weird. And then the very next day they deployed 400 more laptops to all the other corporate employees at the corporate office and sent everybody home because of COVID and that's why they did it is like because you know it was making its way to the states and they mm-hmm. and that that same day there were you know stories on the news about you know nursing homes over in the Seattle area that were getting you know all these all these elderly people that all the residents that were starting to drop dead you know and yeah it's fucking weird um and then the record came out a few months later and then we did our interview <laughs> <laughs> I stuck in the house for like five months by
3: then I was losing my mind. That all seems so long ago now, I guess, right now. I guess it was though. I mean, that was four years ago. Yeah. Three or four years ago. It's been, a, it's yeah. Been a I mean, yeah, I guess it was three, three years ago. Cause it was 2020. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, we, we all made it.
3: But so the point being, it's been a little while since we talked, uh, but you are still doing your thing. And one of your things, your biggest thing I'd say is uh, in my opinion, Black House Records, and I told you I've been doing these uh, monthly label spotlights, and you were on a physical list of mine from the beginning of the year. So I'm very happy to have you here and talk about everything you do because I think Black House is a really uh, exceptional label, and I think you got you do you, you handle what you do so differently than other people, and that's one of the things that makes it so intriguing to me.
1: No, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, and thanks for having me on. Um, that's pretty awesome that you 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 were thinking of me for this for this, and I I do appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's still kind of plugging away at it. I mean, all things considered, with how busy things have been over the last year or two, um, you know, I'm still making plenty of time for it. it it's it's kind of turned into a a well oiled machine, I guess. Well, as you know, as as calibrated as I can make it, I guess, as far as the day-to-day goes. So yeah, things are, things are moving along and, um, we've kind of really dialed in, uh, label wise, you know, the future of, of releases and, and, uh, you know, what we have planned for the next couple of years. And, um, we started doing books, um, this year as well. So we're putting out some, uh, some hardcover art books from some, uh pretty pretty notable artists, I think. Um Jeff Gaither, the guy who did all the uh he did a bunch of album covers for the accused. Um and then he he did um you know that uh nosebleed record? Um oh it's the alt oh yeah, the altered states of America CD. It's got like a priest on it with a bunch of kids Yes, Yes. Playing yes. with drugs. Yeah, he did he did all that. Um he did that cover art. That's pretty cool. And that is cool. Yeah, we got that. And then um, this guy named Mike Diana, he he uh, had a fanzine um, called Boiled Angels for a long time. And uh, there's a movie about him, actually, I think on Amazon Prime. He's the first, I think he's the first and only artist to ever be convicted of obscenity uh, <laughs> in the U.S., maybe even in the world for his art, for, for comics that he'd, he'd been drawing. So... Super offensive shit. Pretty awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> It'll be great.
3: So that's that's quite a quite a uh, accolade to have. You know, that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, for sure. Well, b- before before we dive into all the things that you do have going mm-hmm. on now, or before we get dive further into, uh, tell me about how it all began. When does Black House Records begin? Why does it begin? And it, was it just you? How did it all come together?
1: Uh, so, 2000. Um, in 2000, li- literally right after I graduated high school, I moved into an apartment with a friend of mine. Uh, I was just, um, just joining a band, also, um, that I, I still play in today called Scatterbox. It's a uh, kind of a thrash, kind of punk band. Um, been around forever. Uh and when we were when we were starting to play shows um we we were always noticing that on a lot of flyers there were always like you know booking companies or like promotion companies or whatever that were like mm-hmm. on the flyers and they they kind of seemed to i mean the vibe that a lot of people got from them and myself included were that you know those those flyers always seemed to have a little more legitimacy behind them as far as like who was booking them. And it was almost kind of a branding thing where you could tell, you know, if, if this, if this booking agency or this promotion company locally was, was booking the show, it was usually going to be a pretty decent bill. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we started playing out, there was this other band, uh, called against all odds that lived in the Spokane area. They, uh, They were looking to play more shows as well. So we started playing out with them a little bit. And, uh, we were, you know, I, at the time I was the one, you know, setting up some of these shows and, and making the flyers and designing them and stuff. And, um, I just came up. I was trying to come up with like something similar, right? Like a, some sort of a promotion company pseudo, you know, not, not really, anything real, I guess it was just more of like a name and a logo to throw on, on flyers. And so, uh, I don't know where it came from. I, I can't really say what, <laughs> what made me come up with the out the idea of black house as a name or anything. It just sounded cool at the time. And the old logo was like a, a silhouette picture of Michael Myers from the Halloween movies, holding a hammer, mm-hmm. like holding it up, <laughs> like he was about ready to hit somebody with it. And so that was the, that was the early logo. And we used to throw out all all these flyers and, you know, we were playing with bands from out of town, like leftover crack would come through and, um, death by stereo and all these other bands. And, uh, we ended up booking a bunch of shows and then, uh, this, uh, this band against all odds, they, they were getting ready to put out their first EP. um, and it was, I think it was like four songs and they wanted to know because the name had kind of started to kind of percolate around the area, I guess. Uh, and it was starting to get kind of a name for itself or gain a following, I guess, or or getting attention, I guess, for lack of better word. Um, they wanted to use the name on their CD uh, on their, in the logo. And I said, fuck it, go for it. Um, why not? Cause they, they felt that that way it kind of established them, you know, as being on a label, even though they kind of really weren't.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, for sure. I think that's a good, that's a good move for a lot of people actually is just to yeah. pretend.
1: Yeah. It's just like, well, if you don't, I mean, there's tons of bands that start their own labels that way. You know, right, they right. there's like, shit, we got to put something on this to make it seem more legit. Right. So they come up with their own label name. They throw it on, on the back cover, and then before they know it, like in some cases, I mean they actually turn into full-blown operations, and then they're like, Oh man, like we've got this like cool thing now. I mean, Epitaph is obviously the big standout there and like fat records and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of the old punk explosion thing. Um, but yeah, they, so we we put that out. Um, well, they put it out with the black house name on it. Um, I helped them just kind of get it out and around into retail, like, you know, record stores in the area or whatever. And then, um, the next release was a compilation CD with a bunch of different bands, um, you know, from all over the place. I mean, even Botch was on it. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of different bands like Violent Society from the Pennsylvania area. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh um, so we, we put that out and then that was. After that, uh, we did the first Scatterbox record, and that was like the third release. And that's when I kind of realized, like, this is kind of fun to do, um, and it's actually kind of getting some attention and picking up some speed here. So i I just kept going with it, and I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, but cut to today, I mean, now we're, I think, one hundred and sixty five releases in. Um, wow, I didn't even know it was that many. Yeah, 23 years later, um 22, I guess, almost 23. Uh we're on, yeah, I think uh the book, the the Tender Fury record I think is 162. And then uh the the book that's coming out uh Punching Down from mm-hmm. Cody Harden, that one is uh number 164. So we're we're almost there. So like 165 will be Uh, then the next Rascass release with um Storm and uh RJ Payne Storm from Mob Deep. Oh, cool. Yeah, they have a collaboration thing, a record that they just finished. Um, the collective is called Gutter, like G U T T R. Um, Mm -hmm. They have a, they have a, we're, we're taking on the record for them. I think, um, there's a label over in Europe that's going to handle the vinyl release. And then we're, we're taking on the CD and cassette for it. So, but yeah, it's been a, been an interesting journey for sure. But I mean, when it first started, it wasn't really anything. It was just a name and a logo. So,
3: <laughs> so as so you think you think you say pretty much started taking off or became a real thing. You think around the first Scatterbox release?
1: Um, yeah, probably around then. I, <clears throat> I I wouldn't say that we actually saw any sort of, um, you know, attention outside of the Northwest mm-hmm. until we released, um, we re-released a, uh, we reissued a CD. Um, there was, a, it was originally just pressed on vinyl and cassette. It was actually from Eugene from Oxbow. He, um, he used to run a record store in, I want to say San Jose, but I could be wrong there. Uh, he used to run CFY records and he, uh, also had a fanzine called the birth of tragedy. And I
3: did everything. You could tell me he did anything. And I just oh, was like, yeah, I, I believe you.
1: The guy yeah, he's, <laughs> he's done everything. It's crazy. He was in a damn movie with Bill Cosby for Christ's sake. I mean, <laughs> like, the guy is everywhere. It's insane. But, um, Yeah, he had this fanzine called The Birth of Tragedy. They made a compilation album called uh, Fear, Power, God. And it had like Lydia Lunch, it had Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Allen Ginsberg, Anton LaVey, uh, Henry Rollins is on it, and Jella Biafra and a bunch of people. And so um, I had a copy of it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, It had never been released on CD before. And Eugene and I, um, by then, I think we had known each other a couple of years by then from working. I I used to work for Steve Vontill. Um, I worked at Neurot recordings for a while, yeah, a couple of years. And I I did some merch and and road work stuff for neurosis (laughs) years and years ago. And Oxbow at the time was on Neurot, but they were getting ready to transition over to, uh, working with Hydra head for their next record at the time. I think it was the narcotic story is the album that they did their first record that they did with Hydra head. But, um, I just, I was running black house at the time on the side and I just, I asked him, I said, Hey, what are you doing with this, this comp? And he was like, nothing. I just said, well, Hey, it's never been out on CD before. Would you be cool with me re-releasing it and, you know, putting it out there? Cause at the time we had just, um, secured our first, like, national distribution deal, um, for retail with Mortem Lumberjack. Uh, Mm -hmm. and that, that's a whole different story that, that all went up in flames, uh, a couple of years later, but yeah, I mean, we had, we had secured distribution and, and things were going well. And, you know, we, I felt like we had something to offer as far as the reissue goes and he was cool with it. And we put it out and that was kind of the first, like, that was the first release that I think we had ever put out that really got some serious traction as a label. Um, so it's pretty cool. So I, yeah, I thank Eugene to this day. I owe him,
3: I owe him a lot. That's very cool. And I I knew, I knew some of those things, one that you worked at new rot. I'm sorry, new rot. Um, I guess, I guess we must have talked about that in the last, last time we talked cause I don't know how I would have known that otherwise. Uh, and I was curious how that affected how you ran Black House. I mean, that, that had to be great insight early on, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I didn't really know anything about running a label when I started Black House. <clears throat> I thought that... I mean, I, I had no no example to work off of at all. Mm-hmm. So there was no you know, I, I didn't, I was completely flying blind. I was, I was at the time, I think, yeah, I was working part-time at a record store before that I had worked at another record store chain called Hastings that was around for a long time. Um, but you know, that was, I mean, that's working at a record store. So you don't really, I mean, you kind of learn a little bit about, you know, street dates and distribution and ordering and stuff like that. Um, but and you, you see, you know, what retail one sheets look like and, and all that, but, um, you never really know a whole lot about how all that stuff is, is coming together on the inside. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that was, that was what I kind of was trying to learn as I went. And I, I made a lot of mistakes as I'm sure a lot of different people do when they're, when they're running labels. I mean, it's kind of impossible to just do it all perfectly all the time, but (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, the yeah, I mean, it wasn't until working at Neurot that uh, I had a, I kind of learned a little more about, you know, what to do and what not to do, things to avoid. I mean, to be fair though, like I was a complete fuck up of an employee when I worked there. Like I was, <laughs> I mean, I, and you gotta you gotta keep in mind, I'm I'm 40 now. I was 21, 22 maybe 23. No. Yeah. I was about 21 to 23. I was there for about two or three years. And, uh, yeah, I was a fucking drunk. I was, you know, I was, I was going out partying a lot. Um, you know, you were a normal 21 year old. Exactly. Yeah. I was super immature, just kind of doing whatever the fuck I want. And then I would, I would kind of fly by night and come in there as needed and, you know, take care of mail order and, and try to keep up with inventory and stuff. And I was, my, my role there was like label assistant, quote unquote, but I was also the mail order guy. And, um, when I was working there, I, I didn't, to be honest, like I didn't quite, I don't think I ever really fully grasped like the inner workings of their ordering systems that they used, like their mm-hmm. merchant cart and how their how their ordering system like communicated with PayPal and all this technical shit that I just never really quite understood. And I, you know, I did what I could and I, you know, I learned a lot and, uh, you know, eventually that, that ended. And, um, when I started black house on a more of like a serious, um, trajectory, I, I ended up, you know, revamping our whole website. I, you know, found a merchant cart that made sense, and I kind of organized things. and And I think it wasn't until like really building that shit out myself that I I kind of learned it, it clicked. You know, and I learned okay, well, these are this is, I you know this is how process A, B, and C work, and this is how I can, you know, this is how I can get the mail order store to work correctly and and keep you know better inventory, and then this is how I can do my accounting. and It was just a matter of kind of setting up my own systems that that weren't exactly the same as how Neurot was doing things or Hydrahead, or any of those other labels. But like I found what worked for me and I kind of just established it as my own. And, but it was definitely influenced off of, you know, how these other, how a lot of other Indies were, were functioning at the time. So, um, but yeah, it works. It works. It works pretty well. So it must, if you've, uh, 20, 23 ish years
3: and, uh, 160, which I averaged out, that's about a little less than eight releases a year. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty, I'd consider that prolific, um, output for, for a a relatively small label in the uh, Northwest.
1: Yeah. Thanks. It's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of, a lot of other people that run labels could probably Agree with me that, you know, the first, you know, for years, I I imagine most folks that are running record labels probably feel like they're digging a hole in the ground and, you know, putting money into the hole and setting it on fire um, (laughs) every day, day in, day out for, you know, at least a while until until shit finally clicks and pops off. And then you, you know, and then you kind of find your, your, your niche, I guess. Um, but with, with, a yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is it's record labels are weird. I mean, it's all, it's inter it, It's entertainment, right? It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a necessity. It, it's not a need. It's a want. Right. And, and as far as most people are concerned, like to me, it's a necessity, like music to me, like, if I don't have music at some point in my day, like I, I feel like something's missing, you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's discretionary income. It's people spending money on things that they don't necessarily need. Right. Like they don't, they need food and water and whatever, (laughs) but like, (laughs) you know, do you need vinyl? Maybe not, but, um, so it's, it's really, it's fickle, man. Like there's, there's times where, you know, things will be really great. And then there's other times where shit just sucks and you could put out releases that do really, really well. And then you turn around and you take some of the profit you made from one release that you recycle back into the next release and it fucking tanks. And then you're kind of balanced out and it's, yeah, it's just a man, a way of trying to balance all that out and make it work, you know, and, and keep it self-sustaining. And that's, that's my big thing is like, at the end of the day, I just want the label to sustain itself more than anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a million dollars. I don't, I I feel like if anybody's going in to start a record label to, to become rich, number one, they're probably living on another planet. Um, and, uh, and I, I feel like it kind of cheapens the whole reason that people get into it in the first place is like, I did this, I started doing this to help bands and, and to try to, work with bands and artists to at least just get their stuff out there on a wider, to a bigger audience. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know with like the internet and social media and things, it's, you know, it's a lot easier for artists to do that nowadays. Um, but at the same time, um, having that added support kind of helps take that shit off their plate. So they can actually like focus on the music and what they actually really like to do, like all the things that they enjoy about what they're doing. Whereas I really enjoy doing this part of it. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, but as long as, you know, as long as a release can break even and the the band's happy and they get, you know, tour support and they, you know, um, they're happy with working with me. Like I'm, I'm good. Like I'm not, you know, any profit that we ever make off a release, we just recycle it into the next album, you know, um, yeah. all the bands get paid quarterly and, And then anything that's left in the account basically just sits there. And, you know, when we have the budget, we'll put out another record by another band or the same band. You know, if they have another release down the road. So. Well, you you release
3: a wide variety of music or you have at least from the beginning, from from the very beginning until now. Um, Was that the intention when you started? You know, you were going to go from punk rock to hip hop to, noise, to, you know, metal, like, did you know that's what Black House was going to do or is this just kind of how it happened?
1: Um, no, I, I didn't really have a plan. I, um, Black House originally started out. Um, but my, mm, my intent was to just put out punk albums and just work with like punk and metal bands. And then, I I don't know, just as the years went on, I, I mean, I, I never really been, partial to only punk and metal as, as a listener, as as like a music fan, I I listened to a lot of different stuff. So, um, after a few years, I kind of thought about it more and I was just like, well, why the fuck, like, why do I need to just stick to one or two genres of music when I don't really have to? I mean, I know a lot of record labels do that because Mm -hmm. it helps kind of keep the core audience at bay. Right which is probably, I mean, it's probably at the end of the day, a better business move, um, you know, to kind of stick with, you know, a couple, a couple genres, but um, I guess it depends on who you ask. But for me, it was just kind of like, I don't really, I, maybe it goes back to the whole, um, you know, glutton for punishment type thing where you're throwing money in a hole and setting it on fire. But uh, (laughs) um, yeah, it just, it, it, it seemed like, there were opportunities to work with other artists that I was fans of, that I was a fan of that, you know, I didn't, yeah, it didn't necessarily fall in line with like the, the stuff I had put out before, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't beyond working with them, you know, like slug Christ was probably the first, you know, notable um, hip hop artist that we worked with. Uh, and as soon as that happened, um, I really liked the way that him and I work together. And I mean, cut to, it's been 10 years now since him and I started, you know, putting out records together. And, uh, he's a great guy. He's, you know, he's got his shit together nowadays and he, um, he's got a lot of different, he's got a lot of different ideas and a lot of cool stuff in the works and, um, just the, the, the first release we did with him did really well. And, uh, so at the same time, it was kind of like, well, he knows all these other artists that I'm fan I'm a fan of and they kick ass. So, you know, might as well. And that's, that's kind of how I wound up putting out records by father and, you know, like Lord Narf. And, and then, um, I think it was around the same time, uh, a mutual friend of mine had gotten me in touch with Raskast and he was looking for a label to re-release. Um, he, he put out an album. I mean, his like the album that kind of like put him on the map, uh, this album soul on ice. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he was looking for a label to re-release it as a, like a double vinyl release with like a gatefold and a CD that comes with it and all this crazy shit. And, uh, it was like a 20th anniversary reissue. And, uh, I, yeah, I talked to him and we ended up doing that and I'm still working with him today. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it just felt like it made more sense to me to just put out what I like rather than worrying about, you know, who may or may not buy what I put out.
3: If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think that's, I I think that's something that draws me to the label because I don't, I don't remember or know which release put Black House on my radar. I, I have no idea. I can't, I actually have up the Discogs right now and I'm looking through and I, I don't know what it was. I don't remember which one it was, but I know once I was there. And aware of your label. I started checking things out. And that's that's like where I f- found out what Slug Christ even was. You know, what I mean, I checked yeah. it out because it was on Black House. And that was one that's always been interesting to me that that was on the label. And of course, you have other similar stuff there too now. But uh, but that was that's always been one that stood out to me. Um the stuff like prison religion and uh and of course yeah. Rascast that you mentioned, but then but then you like you you can go the whole other way with like that fucking three-way split you have with with Rob, with rot monger and for blaster and honey badger, you know what I mean? Like, or, or the, the accused <laughs> stuff, or, you know, it's just, it's so all over the place that, uh, that I think that's, that's what makes it appealing to me. Cause like you, I listen to music the same way. I just listen to a shitload of stuff, you know, yeah doesn't necessarily fall in, a genre bucket. And I think that's again, one of the things I think is so cool about, the, about the label.
1: Well, one thing that it kind of, I mean, so it, I'll admit it. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm releasing on the label, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I guess it's more a self-indulgent thing because, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I don't really give a shit, you know, how how it does. If it's something I really enjoy, like if it's, if it's something I really love, like I want to be a part of helping that artist, like do something with it. Right. Sure. And, and it, I, I, as I get older, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm listening to a lot of different types of music that I would have never listened to 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's a lot easier for me to want to branch out and put a lot more, you know, to put it, have a more eclectic, uh, you know, release schedule, then that, that kind of coincides with, you know, what I normally would listen to throughout the day, rather than just sticking to hardcore punk records, you know, back. back.
3: I always say that I used to always listen to, I used to like dedicate everything to listening to Mm -hmm. hardcore all the time. And, uh, I think I was faking it. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I don't (laughs) think that was, I don't think that was really what I, all I wanted to listen to, but it was all I listened to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's no, no discredit to, I mean, my home, you know, my, my heart is, is with the hardcore scene at at the end of the day. Like it will always be what I gravitate toward at the end of the day, but likewise. Yeah. 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 yeah, But you know, there's also, there's just so much good shit out there. Like there really is. And I mean, for, yeah, I mean, granted there's tons of horrible stuff out there and i mean (laughs) i'm no i mean black house is not you know a be-all end-all judge of what's good or bad as far (laughs) as any genre goes but so i mean it's subjective like people might listen to you know one you know they may listen to the accused album that we put out and they think it's fucking amazing but then they listen to you know five other releases we put out and they just think they're fucking garbage and they're like why (laughs) and i think that that doesn't necessarily work in our favor all the time because you know, it. you lose an audience that way, right. Like yeah, if they're expecting yeah, yeah. three more accused ish type releases and they're getting, uh, you know, an old swing band or like, you know, like a, like a harsh noise release, then they're, they're probably going to get a little turned off and then they're, you know, their attention goes toward, you know, somewhere else. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, we're, we're one of many labels in the world and you know, we're not we're not trying to corner the market on any specific thing. We're just having fun putting out records. That's pretty much it.
3: Well, tell me about the your preference for a release physical. I've for the physical medium that you release it on. Is do you want everything to be on vinyl? Is it just kind of specific mm-hmm. on the release? Like you mentioned, some things you were just doing CD you know the cd because someone else is doing the record is there something you prefer do you prefer to do it all
1: um it just kind of depends like it it, it's more of a discussion that kind of happens with the artists um if i i mean and well and then you you kind of have to consider the budget and stuff like Mm -hmm. that i mean i try to keep things realistic um as realistic as i can i guess so It's, it's all timing. So, you know, for example, the Rascast thing, yeah, that, you know, that the gutter release, that's, that's already been optioned to, you know, on vinyl to another label. Um, And then, you know, we get the CD and cassette, uh, which I'm totally cool with. I, you know, I'm, I'm good with whatever format. Um, If, if it, if it's, if I had it my way I would, I would do all four, right. I would do vinyl. I would handle CDs cassettes, yeah. and digital. Um, but then you get into the talks with some artists about how they want to retain their own digital and keep that. And, and uh, a lot of the times I'll, I'll, I'll just, I agree with that because I, I don't, I try to be as flexible as possible with formats and, and what they want to allow the copyright to, because mm-hmm. um, I mean, these guys, you know, they're, If, if they're going to pull a decent amount of revenue off of their streaming royalties and, and have full control of their own band camp and sell their own merch outside of our, you know, whatever release we put out for them, like more power to them. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to stop an artist from being able to try and make a living for themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I want to be a part of helping them make a living for themselves if this is what they want to do. Right. Um, but at the same time, sometimes you can't, it, it, it can get in the way. Like if you're, if you're being too, you know, if it, you can't control everything that they don't want to give up control of. Right. So a lot of the time I just approach a band and I say, Hey, I fucking love you guys. I, I think it would be amazing if we could, you know, put something out for you. I think you guys have a great thing going on. We have a good thing going on. Um, what do you think? And then it just kind of goes from there. Um, I don't, the label we, you know, I've, I've never been one to, I've always kind of had it in my head to never, um, try to retain an artist publishing rights or anything like that. Um, it's all just straight up licensing deals for, you know, one, one album option, every time and then it's it's on a per album basis so i'm not signing bands into like five album contracts or anything but once we once we come to that consensus then we just try to figure out what what formats make the most sense um you know and and go from there and what what we can swing at the time <clears throat> um so in in more often than not i would i would prefer to try and do a vinyl run for everybody um, but I also know sometimes there there are some limitations there. And then mm-hmm. sometimes there are artists who just straight up don't even give a shit about vinyl and they don't, don't <laughs> want to even do that. Um like uh, the, some of some of these guys, uh trying to think of who, like um let me think here. Like Kerblagoop is one example. He's not actually even officially on Black House, but He, uh, we distribute, we, we distribute a bunch of stuff he's done and he has been a very, uh, staunch, um, supporter of cassette tapes. (laughs) So like everything, everything he's done has been on cassette. And
3: that's, that's that's dedication.
1: Yeah. 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 To a format. Yep. And then, you know, there's another band that, that exclusively wanted to just do CDs only, which is. I crazy to me because CDs, I mean, that's definitely of, of all the formats, that's the one that sells the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's convenient to have on tour, you know? So I guess it makes sense in that respect because in that way they have plenty of stuff they can haul around on tour with them. So.
3: Yeah. 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 I, I get it. I mean, it's changed for me over the years. That's why I asked because there was a point where, There's a point where I was, I mean, for cassettes, I was driving a car that only had a cassette player in it after I graduated college and I was buying everything I could on cassette. You know, there was obviously being 38, there was a lot of CDs, you know, now I want records. So like I've been through all three formats as my preferred, you know, whatever. And uh, so I can see why anybody would have whatever reason for preferring one thing or the other. Yeah.
1: There are some, I mean, some of these releases we've done. Yeah. I mean, it, it have been exclusive to only vinyl. Um, that, I mean, like for example, this tender fury record we have on pre-order right now, that one's vinyl only. And that's, that's the only format they wanted to do. And that was the only one I was, I mean, I was cool with that too. I agreed. Um, and then, uh, let's see the Eugene and, uh, Philip Pettit. Uh, record was vinyl only the annihilator album was vinyl only. So yeah, it just kind of depends. Well,
3: let's talk a little bit about that tender fury album. That's on pre-order right now. I believe the title was if anger were soul, I'd be James Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it came out when, when did that originally come out? It was
1: early nineties, 91 ish, something like that. Yep. 1991, uh, yeah. Came out on triple X records. Um, that, so triple X, uh, <clears throat> amazing label. They were, you know, they were around for a long time and they, they put out some, like some of the records that I like, some of the punk albums that I like grew up on came out on triple X, like all the DI stuff and, you know, the vandals, uh, uh, fear of a punk planet came out on, on triple X and the sweat into the oldies record that they did. And, Bunch of the yeah, I'm trying Agner to think stuff. what
3: I'm trying to think what records I remember being on triple X. I'm thinking of my cassette collection though, and I can't I can't recall, but I remember the I remember the logo for the label on the record, you know, on the stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but I just can't think of what it was. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: They put out a couple, um, they put out the Adolescents' first couple of records and uh, <laughs> the voluptuous horror of Karen Black. Oh man. Uh oh yeah. Um corn. Uh corn bef- before they were corn, they were called LAPD. LAPD, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they had a different singer. And yeah, they uh they put out their album. I think there's only one that came out on Triple X, if I remember right. Um, so they were it was a lot of uh you know, LA and Southern California based bands from what I understand. And I know I think they were pretty Pretty exclusive to sticking around that area. Um, I could be wrong though, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I I'm thinking, I'm though.
3: looking now. I'm thinking it was, uh, it was Angry Samoans. I remember the live at Rhino Records. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the Jeff Dahl stuff and uh, maybe was there some TSOL on here, like some late TSOL? Maybe I've got the wrong label though.
1: There was, yeah, there was uh, like the leather jacket cover one. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, the only one that I remember is that. So the kind of the weird story with TSOL, I, I I, maybe you've heard about it, but they, so TSOL actually lost their band name legally to. Uh,
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
1: the kind of the hair metal version of TSOL that came out in the eighties. Do you remember that hit run. Story at all? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that, that album, so TSOL did a, did a record or two and then Jack left and then a guy named Joe Wood joined and they started putting out albums. And it, I think changed today was like the first record that, that was like, it was all of TSOL except Jack. And then it mm-hmm. had Joe Woods singing and playing guitar along with them. And then as, as time progressed, it turned more into like a, a hair metal, like butt rock band. Uh, and they did, yeah, they did hit and run and then revenge um, or vice versa. And then uh, strange love. And then, and then right around that time, I think after, um, Triple X put out a, a live record by TSOL, but they couldn't legally use the name TSOL anywhere on the packaging. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the CD, it just says on the on the spine, it says uh, instead of TSOL, it says Jack Grisham, Ron Emery, Mike Roach, and Todd Burns. <laughs> it just yeah, has all yeah. four names. <laughs> live '91, and it was yeah, I think that was the, I think that was like one of the only things that Triple X did for TSOL actually, like as a band, and then they released, uh, the tender fury records. Um, I can't remember if they did two or one of them, but all I know is that the last record that they did was on, was on triple X. And that was, that was this one. And, uh, yeah, it came out in 91 and then I'm not exactly sure when triple X necessarily went under like their history is like kind of buried, like it, it's kind of hard to find a whole lot of info about the label in the Mm -hmm. history of it online. Um, I mean, I've done some digging, but you know, it's, um, I, I would love to know more about it. Like it'd it'd be really cool if like a book came out or something about it uh, just so I could read about it. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, that, that album, I guess they never toured on it. It kind of faded into obscurity after it came out and, um, you know, Randy from Pennywise had always been playing bass in tender fury from what I understood. And, uh, the last lineup was, was him and then Frank Agnew from adolescence and then Josh freeze. And the album is just, it's, it's rock solid. Like it's bar none. I mean, in my opinion, it's bar none, the best thing they ever did as a band. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was kind of a cool kind of middle point between T S O L and then Jack starting the joy killer later on. It was kind of this weird transitional period where it's almost like a blend of the two kind of put together. It's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, it is. I, 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 I totally agree with that. Uh, the, the blend of the two put together. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was aware of tender fury before you bringing up that you were, you were, uh, reissuing this and i think i think that's what's cool about it is that it's a really cool record that i don't think i knew of like and and i i like i like admitting that too that there's still shit that's old and cool that i have no idea about and like like featuring all these artists that i'm familiar with like that whole lineup is like people i know from their other bands right but i didn't know about this band and this record yeah. And and I've been listening lately, and it, it is very cool. And uh, so, how how did you even how did you even come across this and get involved with it? Uh,
1: So I I'd been listening to Tender Fury um, for a, a while. I mean, back even when I was like in high school, um, they'd been around, and I I was a fan of TSOL. So I kind of did some digging, and you know, I ended up discovering Tender Fury as well. And then Jared, our old guitarist from Scatterbox, he uh. I hadn't heard tender fury in a long time. Like it was just, you know, you, you listen to lots of different music over the years. And that was just kind of a, a band that, you know, I liked at the time and then just kind of forgot about them for a while. Cause just cause they, they weren't a band anymore after, you know, 91, 92. And then my, uh, my friend Jared, he played guitar in Scatterbox for for, uh, you know, years. And he, uh, he was a big tender fury fan and we kind of got into that again. And, um, I can't remember what it was, but like, I think I stumbled across, yeah, a CD of, of the album. Uh, I can't remember where I found it, but I bought it because I was like, Oh shit, I haven't seen this in ages. And I listened to it and just, it, it, it holds up like to this day. I mean, being a 32 year old album, um, it's, it's still, I mean, it, you know recording quality wise production wise it still sounds like it could have come out this year and it's pretty awesome that that it's held up over the years and and yet it's been buried for for almost equally the same amount of time as it's been out right yeah <laughs> um And like it, it, I mean, some people have heard it. I mean, there is a following of people who, who, you know, still listen to tender fury. It's just, um, the album was really hard to find and it it had never come out in the U S on vinyl. I think triple X only put it out on CD and cassette. And then, uh, I think Roadrunner put it out in the UK and that was, that was pretty much it. And just kind of disappeared after that. So it just, um, and then the more I talked to Jack about it because we were, kind of going back and forth about putting it out. Um, he, his big thing was like the, the original cover art. I think if you Google it, you'll find it online. But the original cover has a photo that Ed Culver took of him, uh, you know, painted in red, nailed to a cross. And mm-hmm. some guy at the label, some art director guy, insisted on drawing and adding these like weird thorns around the picture of the cross like the photo that ed took Mm -hmm. and uh and they were talking about both ed and jack were talking about in an email chain how much they fucking hated that and how they had wished that it had just been the photo for the cover and not and not you know and to remove the thorns and i i just said look i can fix that (laughs) i I was like you know i can i can actually reconstruct the cover art for you guys because i mean i i went to school for graphic design years ago and i mean i've been yeah i've been designing shit forever and and doing layout work for you know bands even not like on black house like i i've been you know farmed out to uh to do layout and graphic stuff for other people and I told him, "Hey, if I can get a vinyl copy of this or get the original files, I can I can actually remove those thorns and blow up the main photo a little bit to take up more space on the album cover and uh and uh, yeah, I, you know, one thing led to another and I was able to actually get my hands on, you know, the original artwork and and a, a vinyl copy from overseas and a few scans later and a bunch of uh you know Photoshop work later. Here we are. It's got a brand new reconstructed cover without thorns. <laughs> so, so Ed's super happy, and so are J- so is Jack. So, that's that's good.
3: That's awesome. That's awesome. You're able to, you know, fix something they hated about it too. Uh, and, and, and did you like you mentioned like it being uh like reconstructed other than like the, the album cover? Is it was it all remastered as well?
1: Yeah. Um, We, we actually had, yeah, it was remastered. Um, and let's see. Yeah. I mean, that was the big thing. It was just reconstructing all the artwork, um, and redoing the layout and then having the album actually remastered because of, I mean, at the time I think they were running off of like a Sony red book standard, which is what they use for mastering. Um, and I, I don't know if they still do, but at the time it was just, it was low. Like, so like the volume level, wasn't really consistent with like, if you put a CD in and you're listening to it on a stereo, it plays back quieter than, you know, another CD that you would, you would put on in a, in a stereo system. Yeah. yeah. So for some reason there was some sort of like a decibel lowering on the final masters on the album when it first came out. And I'm not sure why that is, but so basically all we did was just punch it up you know, increase the bass a little bit and just level out everything. So it it's consistent and, and kind of keeps up with, you know, current mastering these days, as far as like releases go and, you know, the volume that they play back at. So, and it, um, y- you can tell a huge difference. Like if you listen to the, um, I'll send you a vinyl copy, but if, if you, you know, I think it's even if you listen to it, like a digital version off YouTube, for example, and you have some decent speakers and you play back the original version and then you compare it to, you know, the new version, like it's, it's, it's like night and day. It's crazy.
3: Well, I think, I think anybody who grew up in the uh, CD era has experienced the quiet CD, uh, the (laughs) quiet CD problem but usually you you don't realize you experience it until you put in the next CD and blast right. your fucking eardrums out because yeah. you didn't realize you didn't realize how loud you had to turn it up just to hear what you were supposed to be able to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I so I noticed. Uh, I think well, I think I think this Tender Fury release is very cool. You did the uh, the Oxbow reissue last year for Let Me. Was that last year? Let Me Be a Woman.
1: Yep. That was, yeah, that was last year. The three, like the three main kind of bigger releases we did last year were the, yeah, it was the Oxbow reissue, um, Nate, no face, and then the annihilator record. But yeah, Oxbow was the, yeah, that was, that was the other reissue that we did, um, last year that, uh, had the whole, you know, had the cover art reconstructed and, um, that that got remastered actually by John Golden, who had re they, he had done the original mastering job for that record, uh, and that guy's done work for everybody. I mean, he's if you look him up, it's it's crazy. His his resume is insane. Um, but he, uh, we got a hold of him because Nico from Moxbow was like, we we. There's two things. He's like, don't press don't press the final record overseas cuz they they didn't want it done by GZ which is like a, a pressing plant over there they wanted it yeah. done somewhere yeah. else cuz they weren't happy with the way that they do the mastering in house and he said uh um we want we want John Golden to remaster it and i said okay cool so i got a hold of them um golden mastering and they uh i ended up talking to him briefly for a few minutes and he said oh yeah i have the original court recordings from that still somewhere here i'll i'll just dig them up and we'll you know, we'll, we'll punch them up a little bit and give it a little more of a modern sound. And, uh, he did it and yeah, the reception to that has been really good. Like a lot of audiophile people that, that collect vinyl, like who had the old record and bought the new one. There's been a bunch, there's been a handful of reviews, um, where people have just been like, God, the, the remastering on this is crazy good. Um, So that, that always kind of makes it nice. It's more of like an incentive for people to want to have it just because they, they get to listen to a kind of a new revamped version of it. So.
3: Yeah, for sure. And I guess that's kind of what I was getting to by bringing it up is that there's a, you, 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 so you got to, well, let me rephrase. You've done, you did that reissue last year, you're doing this one this year, but Mm -hmm. like in order for a reissue to be like intriguing, at least for me, there has to be something one, it has to be like a record that's hard to get. Right. And yeah. it has to sound yes. better. Really. I, a lot of times I don't care so much if the artwork's any different that i mm-hmm. like, that's just low on my priority thing, but I definitely yeah. want it to sound uh, louder, you know, simply yeah. it's as simple as that. Um, so do you feel like this is a, this is going to be an ongoing thing with black house. Are you going to be looking to do more reissues?
1: Um, maybe, I mean, it, it's kind of weird. It's just kind of worked out that way that we've done a few in the last, mm-hmm. you know, couple of years. Um, I don't think it, it wasn't really intentional though. It, it was, it was more or less just like, Hey, you know, this opportunities here in this album fucking rules. Um, why isn't it not, why is it not out? Like, why, why doesn't it just exist? You know? Um, so I kind of jumped on those, but at the same time, um, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool to, to work in, you know, one reissue every year, you yep. know, in the mix with all the, you know, all the newer stuff that's coming out or, you know, when we kind of, sketch out a release schedule for the year it'd be kind of cool to just always have one reissue in there somewhere um you know no matter what it is i mean whether it's like a punk band or you know like a hip-hop artist or jazz band or just whoever it'd be kind of cool to do that
3: yeah yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's why i ask I, I, I like the idea and uh well yeah i like buying records <laughs> i like buying records too and getting records and uh i always think it's cool when there's a a refreshed take on on a on an old one especially like what you've done with these last two or two that i was not wholly familiar with where it's like uh it's like another chance to discover it and uh, get involved with it and I, that's one of the things I have v- enjoyed about what you've been able to do with black house. So there's, again, I, I think I'm repeating myself here. I said it a couple of times, but there's so much, there's so many places to dig in your label discography that, um that I, I find it so interesting. One of them, I guess I didn't have to dig because it was, it was, it was recent. And uh, you just brought it up a minute ago was the, That Nate No Face record you put out last year, Homicide, which I had heard about before. I'd heard about him before uh, from playing these punk and hardcore shows in in Los Angeles when that whole thing was taken off where those big shows were happening and uh, coming out of COVID. Mm. And I'd heard the name, but I never knew what the music was. But when you released Homicide, I found out why do you think this record this artist has kind of gone over as well. Like what, what is it about this? I don't, I don't, I quite, I don't even know how to describe the music to anybody.
1: Nate is a fucking sweetheart of a dude. He, uh, (laughs) I think, I think honestly, it's more of like an organic localized DIY approach that this guy has and how personable he is and how friendly he is toward people and how like genuinely, stoked this guy is to be doing what he's doing and i think people see that and they gravitate toward it and they can tell he's having a lot of fun doing what he's doing and i think it makes people the shows have a lot of fun and i think that's to me that just seems like that's a big part of why he's kind of blown up the way he has is because he's just he's a pretty down to earth and genuine guy and he's not He's kind of carving his own path as far as genres go. He's not, he's not really. I mean, if you throw on a Nate, no face record, I can't really think of any style that he's necessarily trying to bite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's
3: why it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to describe.
1: Yeah. Like he, I know he's a big fan of the screamers. Um, I mean, he he talks about them. Um, He's just, he's got a lot of different influences and I think he just, he, he likes creating. And, um, I think it's a big breath of fresh air for a lot of people, as far as, you know, the, the, you know, the, the cyclical patterns of, of music genres, right? Like there's always a genre of, there's always a type of like music that seems to kind of get popular again for a short amount of time. And then it kind of fizzles and then you know, and then something else kind of picks up again, like, oh, you know, emo is a big deal again. And then two mm-hmm. years later, it's like, oh, you know, crab core, like death core or whatever. And then, you know, oh, like old street punk or whatever. So like that happens, it seems like there's like an ebb and flow of different things. But then Nate's kind of like this dude who his music can just kind of it's not necessarily that it shape shifts, but it's it's so different but it's gritty. And like, I think a lot of people can like relate to the message and like what he's singing about. And it's kind of fun to listen to something new that you can't really compare to anything else. And that maybe you haven't heard before, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he, you know, he, at the time, like when I first started kind of talking with him about, about us doing a record for him, he was in the middle of playing a a lot of DIY hardcore shows like as COVID was like starting to ease up, like you'd mentioned. Right. And Mm -hmm. so he was playing all these outdoor shows, like huge crowds, like under overpasses in like, you know, LA that, you know, these are total illegal, like no permits, like just putting on shows by an off ramp, you know, outside by train tracks, you know, where they'd be, you see it on on YouTube there's like hundreds and hundreds of fucking punk kids hanging out partying and like spray painting walls and shit and lighting fires and just having a good time um and he's playing shows with like scowl and and you know like section hate and like fuck who else gel all those bands that are like getting big you know they're like yeah. hardcore bands and stuff so they're all kind of part of that same thing you know, like drain and, and all those guys, they're all from the same area. They've all played shows with each other and, and everybody's just kind of like kind of come up together. And, uh, and I think he, you know, he, not only was it like, kind of like right place at right time, but he's a good, he's like a good piece in that puzzle because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not just a repeat of all these other bands. It's like he's kind of got his own thing, just like all these other bands have their own thing going on. And uh and it all just kind of works well together. So but yeah, and then he went, I mean, we did the record and then he wound up going on tour with um with City Morgue for like a while. He went on he did the whole US with them. And then um uh, yeah, he's been just Cypress Hill too, out. right? Yeah, he did. Uh, he did a couple shows, I think with Cypress Hill around Halloween. Um, and then he went on tour for a little while with off, Mm -hmm. um, trying to think of who else he's been a busy dude, like the last couple of years, well, like year, year and a half. So, um, was,
3: was homicide a record that, uh, you expected to do as well as it did, or was it, did that kind of surprise you when it happened?
1: Um, I think it did better than expected. Um, I mean, I, I didn't really have any expectations to be honest. Um, I was just so stoked on what he was doing that I was just like, fuck, we should, we got to put something out. Like this is, this is crazy. And he, cause he had just done a record for eyeball, um, eyeball records had just kind of reformed. Yeah. He, uh, so eyeball, I'm not even sure if it's run by the same dude, but like, some people kind of revived it and, and now they put out, um, I think they're branching out now because they're putting out some vinyl here and there and some CD stuff, but they were originally just putting out cassette tapes and they would do these like limited cassette runs with like a t-shirt or whatever as like a package deal. And they would make like a hundred or 200 of them. And they would, they would kind of have like a flash pre-order and sell them. And actually one of the first things that eyeball, did when they revived uh and kind of restarted itself as a label um was uh actually a slug christ release with uh with fox wedding um so that was kind of how how we kind of first wound up kind of intertwined in a way uh Mm -hmm. not necessarily working directly with them but like they you know they've worked with some of our artists in the past and vice versa so but they had just done a a record for Nate. I think it's called like, what's it called? The title's escaping me. Um, uh, I think he's like, yeah. I just,
3: that. I just looked it up a couple minutes ago. I think <laughs> something about let you down.
1: Yeah. He, um, so he just put that out and I, um, I reached out to him I was like, dude, uh, I'm seeing this is only on cassette. Like, what do you like what do you have planned next like do you want to do a record i think it'd be awesome i i really really like what you're doing and it'd be cool to to work on something together and he said fuck yeah he's like basically yeah i'd love to um i have in i mean he had a record already done like it was in the can from what i understand like it was already finished it was a little more it was basically a lot more aggressive than the last record that he had done for eyeball and uh kind of had a whole different vibe to it. It It's a little more angry. And he sent it, he sent it over to me and we just, we started working on it almost immediately. Um, and it just took a long time to get it back from the pressing plant because of all the the backups. So it took like a year to get it back, but.
3: That's the way it was at that time though. Are there any, uh, as far as, you know, vinyl delays, um, are there any records you're surprised at either, or you were surprised at either the success of, or the lack of? successes or like releases you thought oh this thing this thing will be go over great and
1: fell flat surprised by the success of no not really because i i I, again i've never really gone into anything expecting it to just do amazing uh out out of the gate um, I kind of just prepare for the worst all the time, which probably, I mean, I, I guess it ke- keeps things realistic for me. Yeah. That um, makes
3: sense to me. I think that's what, that's the way I would be too. I'd be like, well, no one's going to fucking buy this but because yeah. you know, maybe it's because um, I've put out my own records and <laughs> had nobody pick them up either. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so it's already been like, well, I've been here before.
1: Well, and I, I think it's more or less what kind of worries me every time. Is that like, what really stresses me out and gets my stomach turning is that i'll you know dump a bunch of money into putting out a release and um it's not really so much like like for example like oxbow right Mm -hmm. oxbow has you know their history of of putting out albums has been with labels that you know kind of all fall into I mean, it makes sense for them to putting out, to be putting out records with these labels. I mean, they just, like, they just signed to Ipecac. Um, mm-hmm. And their whole back catalog is is now being, you know, uh, handled by them with the exception of, uh, you know, the, the one, the reissue that we did. Um, but when we did it, when we put it out, when I was getting ready to release it, I didn't know how it would do because I didn't know if anybody would actually pay any attention to it because I don't know what my to be totally honest. Like I can look at analytics all day on social media posts and in all of our social sites, but I don't really know. And I I don't know if I necessarily trust what Facebook is telling me, right? So I don't really know. I can't be super confident every day, all day that something we post on, on our sites are actually going to be seen by anyone. Um, even with you know posting ad boosts and all this stuff that they, they offer as far as like marketing goes, Oh yeah, um, I totally totally understand. Yeah.
3: So you go <laughs> there, into it. Go. There are days where I make uh, you know, basically identical posts and it, mm-hmm. it's it's like it's it's like it doesn't exist, you know. Exactly. It, it's weird.
1: Yeah, it just kind of gets like you just expect it to get lost in the ether, and it's like, yeah, it's not it's hard to say. It, you never really know how it's gonna go over. And mm-hmm. so Oxbow, for example, um all I wanted to do was break even, right? Hey, that was, that, that's always been the goal is just, just try to break even, <laughs> get it, you know, make it available in as many places and as many avenues as humanly possible. Get it, get it out to distributors, um, you know, and, and get, get the artists, their copies so they can take them on tour. They can sell them in their own way and, you know, they keep their own, you know, revenue from that or whatever. But, uh, when it came out, um, it sold out in under a week. Yeah, and I, I guess, well, I, you know, it that was like when it kind of hit me that I was, I, I just, I realized that maybe the analytics are right. You know, <laughs> maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they, maybe Facebook really is telling me the truth because you know, if if three thousand people see it and you know, there's only five hundred copies and they're sold in under a week, then that's cool. I mean, that's pretty it's good. Like, it's efficient. Yeah but the reach is still better than that. I mean, three, you know, I, I think the last time we ran a promo ad on like Instagram, it was apparently visible and, and showed up on like, I think like 150,000 feeds. So, I mean, and I don't know how all those algorithms and all that shit works. Um, mm-hmm. I try to learn as I go, but uh, yeah, I guess that's the hardest part is like, I, I I I have a hard time knowing, you know, what's going to, I mean, I, the only thing I can gauge it off of is knowing how popular the band might be like for the accused. Yeah. Like that's pretty much like you can guarantee with like a band like the accused or, or Oxbow or whatever, like, you know, it's going to sell like, it'll, it'll do well because they have an established fan base and they have a good history of albums out and you know, they have a, they have, you know, they have a history. Um, Mm -hmm um others i mean one one release and i i'm not going to say their name because i don't want to i don't want it to be taken the wrong way either way sure Um, yeah that's fine but there was one artist that we put a record out by and i gotta admit like it's to this day the the best i it's my favorite release that i think i've ever put out on the label in the entire time um of doing this and uh the record fucking tanked and I couldn't believe it. Like I still, I still can't wrap my head around it to this day. (laughs) Why, why it still hasn't broken even yet. Um, and this came out seven years ago and it's still, um, (laughs) it still hasn't recouped yet, but I don't care. Like I, I don't care because I love the album that much and I'm super fucking proud that we got to do it for them. And, um, cut to 2023 and i'll I'll give you a hint so this might be a hint um these guys ended up touring europe a bunch because they they didn't want to even fuck around with the u.s and uh they've put out two or three albums since then and now they're on tour with godflesh so oh, okay yeah yeah i know <laughs> yeah you know you know who i'm talking about now yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah So, yeah, I mean, you know, all's well that ends well, uh, they're, they're finally getting the, the, the recognition that they fucking deserve. Like these guys are, are amazing and they, they deserve the world. Like they, they should be way bigger than they are. Um, but that's just, that's music. That's, that's the music industry. The music industry is, fucking stupid
3: <laughs> <laughs> yet you've immersed yourself in it a... I
1: know I know like I said remember when I mentioned the uh, being a glutton for punishment yeah I sure yeah that was a. I sure. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, was, uh, I love music um I I but there there are some things about the music industry that really suck and uh, you know any any band or any musician will tell you the same thing any any label owner any manager any booking agent there's you know it comes with territory of i guess any industry there's always good things and then there's always some shitty things so yeah
3: comes with the territory i guess but this year i think it was earlier this year You announced you were kind of expanding. Well, you kind of were already doing it, but announced you were kind of expanding what you're doing and kind of changed the name of black house, right? You went from black house records to black house limited. Did I have that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I took the name records off of it because we're, we're not just putting out records anymore. I just, it, it it seemed, I mean, because we had a, we had a movie come out also, yeah, um, yeah that's last right. year yeah. documentary thing for my band that that came out and it's out on amazon and it's on prime um so just I, I don't know and then like the book thing i've always been a big fan of art books and coffee table books and uh you know there's there are a lot of really great artists out there that that are, are kind of part of the subculture that um that don't that don't really have very you know the, there just hasn't been an opportunity for them to, to release, you know, uh a, a really solid document of, of, of their work, you know, and, and I, I don't know, we, we put out a book for slug Christ. He, he put together this, uh, this project and we, we put it out and it, it did really well. Um, people love books in general. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, I know a lot of people have gone to, you know, from physical formats to listening to music on Spotify, but books have always kind of remained a a mainstay. I mean, do do people still use Kindles? I I don't know if
3: that's, I don't know. I don't know if any my mom probably which is funny that like the old person is using the Kindle, but yeah, yeah, I mean people, that's how you know it sucks.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I know a lot of people still, you know, use their phones if they're reading books and stuff. So they'll, they'll, Put books on their phones or whatever. And then, I mean, some people still have e-readers, but like, you don't really hear as much about a Kindle anymore. And I, I don't know. I, I own a lot of books. Everybody I know who I talked to is just like, yeah, I still buy books. What are you talking about? Like, you know, and so we did the slug Christ books. It did really well. And, um, I, I had so much fun, like putting that together with him and, and getting it finalized and, and printed and, you know, seeing the finished result back was, it was kind of like it was when I first started releasing CDs and like when you get them back from the manufacturer, it's like, Oh wow, this looks so cool. Look how it turned out. It's perfect or whatever. So, um, I kind of wanted to, to, to keep doing that. And so I just said, fuck it, we're going to start putting out books. And I changed the name to black house limited. Um, just so it didn't seem like it, all we were going to be doing was were records. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there are like three or four book projects in the works and then, uh, more music. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want it to, to, you know, I didn't want to stray too far away from people uh, still uh, recognizing the label as a record label as well. So,
3: well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with, we talked a little bit about in the beginning about what you got going on right now. Of course we touched on the tender fury thing, but that, that stuff included what, that you can talk about, do you have happening for Black House in 2023?
1: So, the rest of this year, uh, so Tender Fury is already like in its, it's out. I mean, as far as pre order goes, um, so yeah, that's yeah. that's happening. Um, next release is the book from Cody Harden, it's called Punching Down. Uh, it is a 200 plus page hardcover book of a bunch of his artwork um mostly uh a good part of it um i think he said a majority of it is stuff that no one's ever seen before um he has a instagram page called cody sucks cartoons and uh, a bunch of his stuff is on there but um a lot of the stuff that's in this book it's not even he's never even shared it um so pretty excited about that we just sent it off uh to the pressing company to print a couple test run books. So we can take a look at them and proof them before we, uh, before we go forward with the, um, you know, manufacturing the full run and, and starting pre-order on them. But, uh, yeah, everything looks good so far. I'm, I'm really excited to get that one back and actually have it like in my hands and, and check it out. Um, so that's in the works. And then, uh, we have a book from Jeff Gaither, um, He's working on a book that we'll probably have out toward the end of this year. Uh, and then Mike Diana, the guy from um the Boiled Angels fanzine. Uh, he um he has a book that he's working on right now that we'll be taking on later this year as well. Then the gutter release from Rascass. Uh that's the collaborative thing. That's Rascass, Storm from Mob Deep, and then a, a guy named RJ Payne. Um, and then I think that's pretty much it for this year, and then next year we've got um an al a new album coming out by father uh the awful records uh mastermind guy he uh mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Father he's a rapper from atlanta he he runs uh awful records I'm familiar through blackhouse that's how that's how I know who father is yeah. yeah he um he he runs that label and he's responsible for I mean they've done a lot of really cool shit. Um he released uh have you ever heard of Abra Say it again. Uh have you ever heard of a, a female singer um kind of a dark wave artist her name's her name's Abra she goes by Abra. I don't think so. Um she uh she's put out a couple records on awful and then she um she's actually kind of made the jump into doing like feature films um mm. she's in a couple pretty big budget movies now. Um, so he did, he did some releases for her. Uh, he actually awful records is actually the label that playboy Cardi came from. Okay. Yeah. I him. Yeah. He's like, he's fucking huge now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're doing a record for him and then, uh, I'm, I'm working on some other stuff that I can't talk about yet, but, um, Pretty exciting shit though. I I'm, <laughs> I'm looking yeah. forward to being able to share it next year. That'll yeah. be really cool. I just have to, uh, I have to secure some things first and make sure everything's, uh, everything's a go before I can actually start talking about it. So.
3: Well, it's but all yeah. very cool. All you was, got, you got a lot, a lot going on and I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, it seems like the the book thing is like a whole new, it's like a whole new wing to what you got as black house. And I that, I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's it's super exciting. I it's um if there was I mean if if we could like it be really awesome to uh somehow separate the two and make them two different entities, but it, I think it kind of just makes more sense to just leave it all as you know one one thing you know black yes yeah. in general. Um, it's just probably easier to manage that way too. But yeah, I don't know. I I guess I. I we're just, I, I like to stay busy and I have some friends that help with, with things and on the day to day for the label stuff. And so as a, as a group, we're, we're getting shit done. And <laughs> I mean, I I'm, I'm happy with the way things are and I'm, I'm glad that there are people out there who who are receptive to, you know, everything that, that I've been putting out over the years and it, you're yourself included. And I really appreciate it.
3: That was my conversation with Scott from Black House Limited. The song you just heard was from Tender Fury. It's off of that reissue of Anger Were Soul. I'd be James Brown. The song was called Can't Believe I'm Still Here. Go pre-order that immediately. It's a very cool record. If you were unfamiliar like I was, it's it's a cool record. Let me say it again. Uh, Members of a lot of your favorite bands, I'm sure of it. But mostly... At this point, I'd like to thank Scott for his time, his friendship, his conversation and what he's done with his bands, his record label, his book label. What do we call it? book label? Publishing House. Is that what do we call Black House Limited? It's an entity. He's a mogul. He is now a two time getting it out podcast guest. That's something to brag about. Right. Put that on your mantle. Maybe I'll make plaques. Going forward for people who are return guests, Scott gets a plaque. How about that? Uh, thanks to you for listening and checking it out. I hope if you were previously unfamiliar with everything Black House has to offer, you'll dig deep and uh, find something. There's a nugget for everyone in this record labels discography. And uh, that's kind of the point. That's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on to discuss it and I believe we covered a wide variety of topics. I hope you stuck it out this long. This has turned out to be a really long episode. I just looked at the time, so I'm going to stop talking right now. But before I end the episode, I want to play you one more song, as I always do. This one is from Scott's band scatterbox uh we talked a little bit about them we kind of glossed over them a little bit is how you get to starting the record this track is called something's gotta give there's lots from them to check out there uh including the uh the documentary that he released uh, which he mentioned is available on prime so go check it out check out scatterbox here's a song something's gotta give thank you for listening bye-bye <laughs>